Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. I'm here with my co-host Connor McCabe and I'm Michelle Byrne and as always we'll look at the weekend papers and stories of the week from a left perspective and The Week at Work is part of Left Block, a political education and media project and you can find more about us or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash left block. So I think this week we're going to be focusing in a lot on the budget um, and some some other kind of pieces around that. Um, Connor. What have your what have your thoughts been um, on this year's budget? Highly anticipated, of course. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we should probably like do a special just on the alternative budgets. There was uh, there was four of them: there's Sock Dems, Labour, Sinn Fein, and People Before Profit. And like maybe worthwhile just doing a separate kind of standalone, a separate kind of standalone kind of show on that one. But like um, on the budget itself, I mean, it was an unusual one that did this year because really there was two budgets in, in, in one. So even in terms of always trying to analyze kind of some of the figures and stats around it. And it was difficult because there was a 2023 budget, which is the normal one. And then there was the there was a mini budget up to kind of end of like 2022, which went from 1.5 to about 4.5 billion. Um, fund there. So it kind of threw off a lot of the kind of analysis. So it, it, it just makes it that bit more kind of difficult just to kind of, uh, you know, kind of burrow down. But the main thing was that um, you saw, and this was kind of picked up upon, was that um, there's no real, still from, from I nearly called the Sinn Féin government, that's in two years time, but like, uh, but like, like from kind of Fine Gael and like Fianna Fáil, um, they won't, there's no structural kind of response that's going mm, on. So definitely. there's money being, there's money being kind of thrown at things, but there's no structural kind of response. This yeah. is actually, this is picked up by the, by, even by um, kind of centrist kind of uh, economic kind of think tanks in Ireland who said that, that, that yet again, Ireland, that the state is, is not investing in terms of, of, um, of kind of infrastructure. A, a one example of that, was with the extension of the of the medical card and the GP card, uh, which was pure politics, pure kind of politicking. So, um, what kind of Stephen Donnelly has done is that he's extended uh, the the kind of GP card to households with a median income of like forty thousand. I think that's what he's he, he he's saying, you know, um, or, or 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 like forty six thousand. But either way, he has kind of expanded it, but he hasn't expanded or, or invested in the number of like GPs in the state. Yeah, so, and that's um, a huge issue at the moment where people aren't can't get a GP at the moment, whether on medical card or not. But particularly if you're on a medical card, people aren't being accepted. Absolutely massive. And uh, it's something that the GP organizations have, have brought up. In fairness to them, they've been banging this drum for years now, uh, saying that, yeah, expand it. This is great. but we don't have kind of capacity in the system for this. Um, it was seen by some, some as them kind of um, playing kind of politics themselves, but they're not, you know. Um, I just finished a, 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 a kind of report on, on like County Clare for Clare kind of PPN. And um, it came up time and time again. Uh, people have kind of medical cards, but they can't get a GP who will who will take them on. Um, and for dentists, it's even worse. Uh, people who are in Kilrush having to travel to Limerick to try and find a a, a a dentist who will 
to take them on. And we can assume that that has been, that has been replicated in every county across the, uh, the, the, the kind of state as well. There's around 6.6 GPs per 10,000 like in the state in Clare it's at 4.6 per like per, uh, per 10,000 so so like um I, I reckon that once you kind of drill down it into some of the other kind of counties you will see kind of these things as well what he could have done was said that in tandem we're kind of expanding this um there's a huge kind of expansion in terms of of, kind of medical courses like in the state but that wouldn't that wouldn't keep the kind of middle class is happy, you know. They like their kind of GP kind of nixer sound of, you know, just for their own kids. So there's a, <laughs> you know, there is a class element here, you know. Um, drug college surgeons, you know, kind of wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be too mad on having Irish uh, students taking up some of those lucrative um, slots, which they have in terms of uh, training people, because they make millions, tens of millions every year by getting kind of foreign students and just using mm. them as a cash cow, just using yeah. them, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, as a cash cow, a cow, and then getting into kind of property kind of speculation, because if you look at their end of kind of St. Stephen's Green, there's a lot of building that's going on. It's the right College of Surgeons, like, you know. So, you know, so there's, there's a class element here as well, and it'd be remiss of us not to kind of bring that up but um mm, but like if they were if they were serious about it you would do both controversial i wouldn't expand the the scheme because it is kind of politicking until you start or you do it kind of more kind of gradual until you get to those kind of gps what you could do is lower the cost of gp care which now if, if you go in it's like 60 euros per per visit more or less um, so instead of tackling that side of it, they've expanded a scheme that looks free, but there's no access. So it's it's pure kind of politicking. Yeah, as you say, it is politic and it's about how, how many people can we give a little thing to to make it look like, you know, everyone's getting something. It, you know, it's completely like they're down the polls. They're looking for a way to increase that. Apparently, the, it hasn't really worked for them anyway. People are no. still really like just fed up with it all. And like, as you say, like, it's just not addressing the root cause of the issues. And like, yes, you know, you might get a once off thing this year and it'll only be on, like, if you're even just focusing on the education thing, like you're talking about reduction in fees for one year, you're talking about, you know, scrapping apprenticeship fees for one year. Like they're, they've been asked, that have been on the table for years from student representatives that, you know, haven't been realized. What's the point of doing that for one year? And um, when they're, they've been, that problem has been there for years. It's not a cost of living measure at all in, in that kind of mm-hmm. regard in this particular uh um crisis that we're having but that's been something that's been a barrier for years so to, to say that oh it's a once-off measure is really disingenuous because it's been asked for for years but yeah I think like a lot of it you know with that with those one-off measures and everything like you are all you're doing is pushing down the problem down the tracks like you know and then in turn like obviously lining private companies pockets so like even the stuff around the tax cuts like that means less public funds to fund the services that we need so like you know what about you know funding like instead of some of those once-off measures would we not have been better off like keeping those taxes and actually putting them towards fixing the problem long term and yes it would be tough at the start but you know it's like if we just keep pushing this issue further further down the tracks where does that leave us like we're, we were supposed to have mm. more money in the budget this year to play with and we've just decided to not and actually look at maybe being sensible about this and 
putting money into like for example nationalizing energy and making that something that we can maybe control for the future and like future proof in it basically um like there's no point in like obviously there is a point because the, the prices are so high at the moment that we're all struggling with our bills um but when you look at where this is going to go it's just going to continue and in the one of the, the reports or in the budget i was reading like they have actually said that they expect inflation to go up 16 percent. so like that 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 like where, where does that leave us with bills and like how do we continue to subsidize bills when we have absolutely no control over the ownership of the prices or the energy the energy itself um it's just really worrying to be honest it was the first thing that came to my mind after reading it all I was like this is so short-sighted there's no long-term uh thinking in here to how we actually solve this problem especially if we're facing into a potential recession which has been mentioned a couple of times in some of the reporting but yeah I mean you know like even on that kind of tax thing I mean they were right to to move the the kind of top rate of tax from was it thirty six thousand up to kind of forty thousand? Um, yeah. that's right because it's mad how someone who's on thirty six thousand pays the same rate of the income tax as a millionaire. You know, mm. um, but how you pay for that? Like how you pay for that is to bring in a third rate of tax, for, you know, for those over eighty thousand or, or or for those over or over kind of one hundred thousand in terms of wage income. You know, mm. because you know there's a difference between wage income and household income but in terms of of kind of wage income that's how you pay for it but you haven't done that so they've actually yeah. caught you know as you pointed out they have caught the 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 kind of tax take um and and haven't kind of compensated for that mm-hmm. part of me thinks that they're thinking this is them kind of think kind of medium term and just trying just to undermine any kind of Sinn Féin led government by yeah. by doing what what like Liz Truss has has tried to do in Britain where you where you get rid of where you try and slash as much of like tax income mm. it, it, it like as you can it, it like in order to force cuts in in, in kind of social services or otherwise the markets you know, can, you know will can react but they could have paid for it so they could have like yes raise it up to kind of forty thousand, that's okay. I, I have no problem with that. But then you pay for that with a genuine third rate of tax. And all the parties actually, all, all the alternative kind of, you know, in all of the alternative kind of budgets, there is a call for a third rate of tax. Uh, Sinn Fein call it a kind of solidarity tax, which is a bit weird because um, it makes it sound like it's voluntary or they're doing it just out of the kindness of their hearts, like you know. Um, as if a third rate of tax is a fucking Patreon, you know, come like you know. Um, but they are still just regarding just regardless of, of the kind of silly kind of terminology. Um, all of them are saying that we need a kind of third rate of, of tax, and that's what was needed. So you yes, raise it up, but mm. then pay for it by making and sure more exactly <laughs> yeah. by those around kind of 70,000, 80,000 more, pay yeah. a, a third rate of of taxing on it yeah it's because it seems really short-sighted to kind of cut that when there's nothing to fill that gap you know in return with the higher no. rate tax, as you say no 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 it's just you know it's just kind of hollowing out i mean leo didn't get his his like his like putting it down to kind of having a kind of 20 percent rate you know but like um but you can see that this is part of the thinking and then you get into just the you know the viciousness, absolute viciousness of saying that we have 4.5, maybe 5 billion spare mm. and we're going to put it into a rainy day fund. 
like now, you know, where you know where where you have even even kind of Fine Gael have lost the the kind of the the daytime the morning TV crowd. They've now lost them, you know, because even Leo is now getting challenged by by morning TV kind of presenters about every kind of child can, you know, child can homelessness. Like, you know, again, just going back to kind of County Clare because I've just finished that research, but in the last two years, homelessness has gone up in Clare by 86%. And we know that that has been, that is, that is, that is kind of replicated all across the estate. And they have 5 billion, which they're refusing to spend. They're saying because it would be inflationary. No, it wouldn't. What it would do was that it would it would get rid of the leverage that that organisations like the Construction Confederation have because they get to to kind of pick and choose what gets built, not the state at the moment, mm-hmm. you know. But the state should be saying no. These are the things that again can you know kind of build there. Yeah, absolutely. And that rainy day fund could be used to actually future proof, as I was saying, like how we tackle all of these markets that are going wild and like actually, you know whether you're talking about building public homes or nationalizing energy or, you know, actually building more transport infrastructure, public transport infrastructure, whatever it is, but rather than actually, you know, think about the long term in that way, where like, actually, if we start putting in, putting money into these measures now, then, you know, there'll be, we won't need to give subsidies in the future. We won't need like HAP. We won't need all of those other subsidies. And like, I just, to me, it makes total sense as to why we would need to, spend that now to invest in our future in that way and you know protect us in the long run but they're just so hung up on these market mechanisms and you know subsidies for energy companies that are already making billions in profits see it subsidies for you know institutional landlords who are you know renting out for HAP, HAP subsidies and stuff like that it's just yeah it just doesn't make any sense to me I don't know what kind of conversations they're having around it internally but is it even being considered I have no idea or is it the fact that like because some of these proposals are being made like if you take just even the people for profit proposals like it was a couple of years ago that they suggested a windfall tax and everyone was like oh my god that is too radical couldn't touch that absolutely not Mm. and now that's become a bit like you're even seeing like Britain and like other places like you know under the Tory government talking about that kind of stuff and now they're talking about you know nationalizing energy and I just wonder like is it the fact of the people who are proposing it that the government are like absolutely not we will, will not touch off that rather than like depoliticizing this for a moment and taking it out of like party politics and actually considering what is actually good for the people and us as a country in the long term to try and fix these issues just I, maybe I'm being a bit cynical but I honestly feel like if certain people suggest things it's just like an absolute no without consideration of it being you know a valid proposal in some some regards no no I mean like it's like it's it's not being kind of cynical at all it's, it's just that's the reality of, of the situation here whereby these where where social services are used as a conduit for the transfer of public money into kind of private hands. Mm. So, and it's not, it's in housing, HAP, it's in direct provision as well. It's in, it's in health, it's mm. in, and now it's in kind of energy where mm-hmm. instead of doing, instead of exploring what kind of Michael Taft of like SIFT kind of put forward, which I thought was a very reasonable uh, point was bring in a cap on, on energy, but you, but the cap is set at the cost price of the energy, so there's no kind of profiteering for the next mm. um, for the next eight months. But 
But what you have instead is there's a cap that it might be kind of brought in and then the estate makes up that difference. This is what, mm. um, this is what, uh, but this is what the authorities have done in Britain. And again, we can deal with it more just in, just in kind of like in the kind of alternative budget kind of specials. But I think it's, it's what some of the other parties have gone for as well. They haven't gone for that idea of no, you cap profit. You don't cap mm. price and then have the estate kind of make up the entire kind of difference. That's that is that is precisely the same thinking as HAP. It is precisely yeah. th- there's absolutely no difference with it. There's no difference with the childcare one where you subsidize price, not the service. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because they don't want to get into this whole thing of and um, these services are not market services. If if they were to rely purely on the market, they they would fail. They need public subsidies just to just to kind of exist. And because of that, you should just make them public because they wouldn't survive. Or it's not like buying Mars bars. They would not survive without these massive kind of public kind of subsidies. So yeah. you make that's why these services must be public because they're not market mechanisms. They're not markets. They are they don't function in that way. Um, so and that actually, means, yeah, sorry. On that, because uh, Michael Taft, I think, also said around, you know, those kind of subsidies that, you know, are being given out, whether it be to these, you're saying these businesses that shouldn't be um, in the market sphere in the first place, but business in general, like we're talking about giving them subsidies, but not actually putting any requirements around that, around like, you know, paying living wages, recognizing employees' right to collective bargain, investing in decarbonization. Like, so we're ha- we're just giving the this money out without any kind of like improvement yeah. of business performance around that. So like... <laughs> What, yeah, what, I mean, you, you know, know, like, you know, if this was Britain, they would just call it, these are kind of right-wing kind of policies. But that seems to be almost a step too far for our for, for kind of journalists, you know, to actually say that these are just right-wing kind of policies. These are just right-wing kind of policies to subsidise what would be um, unsustainable business kind of practices, you know, and, we, and we're using, kind of, you know, kind of tax income to kind of subsidize these these methods of doing housing, of doing childcare, of like doing health, you know? Like Britain is only now moving into the Irish model of, of healthcare that's been the like Irish model, for, you know, just the last kind of 40, 50 years. Britain's playing catch up in terms of following Ireland down this kind of neoliberal kind of path. We're the ones who were, you know, who were there for. So like Britain's now kind of, you know, like following that. They're calling the, it, it, like what it is it seems to be almost a kind of step too far here mm. like to actually just name it and say that these are ideological you know kind of plans that have been put forward mm-hmm. because there is there is billions to be made uh from the the, the kind of public pores yeah yeah and like even just that comparison i know michael taft's come out from sip on a, on a few things like that but if you look at why the wider union movement um and their kind of asks around the budget um like for example ICTU were calling for I think it was a tapered price cap on energy um for six months or something like that um but when you look at the ambition of even the uh TUC in Britain they were calling to nationalize the five big energy companies like just in that kind of regard you know um, and even some of their other parties, like the Greens in the UK, are calling to nationalise energy. And it's just interesting to see the ambition when, you know, the state of affairs in both, you know, in both, both um, countries. But, yeah, interesting to see that 
and wonder is there more that you know our movement could be doing like I know obviously at the cost of living um protest and there was you know a lot of cross party and cross group support like very unusual mix of speakers at that at the protests actually um interesting enough labor were not involved in that coalition um something to do I think with potentially carbon taxes but I think they did turn up on the day of probably when they it realized did, uh, it was going to be a big yeah yeah so they were tweeting from the from the march itself whose idea whose idea you know was it to have all the speeches for us because they they need to fucking knock that on the head I think it was because there were so many speakers but I actually found it was like yeah it was a bit bit difficult at the start but maybe they were just trying something to see I think I actually think I saw the was it the Meek protest um did something similar to that um where they had speakers at the start maybe I'm, I'm misremembering one of the um, joys of these kind of marches is that you show up and you protest and then you can fuck off before all the speeches start like you know what I mean like so it's like that's the beauty of it that's why you go to these things no one goes to these meetings to hear some kind of politician saying yeah hey lads fair play to you who are doing stuff yeah 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 you know like fuck a politician's like ask me politics anyway <laughs> Yeah, there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely uh got caught out with uh trying to stay around um, but didn't got delayed with the start of the protest as well. All the speakers. Um, so you were one of the three thousand people who marched that day, then, were you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, all the drama <laughs> around the numbers on that. Like, I saw someone actually did like the maths online, and they said it was probably that, about yeah. sixteen thousand. But really, the independent hat was it the independent. That said 3,000, wasn't it? Irish Times, well, Indo said first, then the Irish Times kind of ran with it. Irish oh, Times gosh. Irish Time, Times did change it and just say thousands going to show Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. But then Adults. the, the journalists were still defending it online on a social. That, it's been like, and I was like, all right, step down there now. Like, I feel like you've been, you know, this has been teased out now and you've been proven wrong. But, you know, look, they got the reward now in the budget. They have their tax gone now for that kind of reporting. Um, <laughs> and is this what we're going to see now? Like, you know, like not to be, so like that kind of, I know obviously people, people are always like, oh, buy a paper and, you know, we need to fund like proper journalism and stuff but like it's 12 percent. so like like instead of costing 220 it now costs one one euro 98 or like two euros like people aren't buying papers because papers are shit you know what i mean like there's no news in them it's just philip bryan asking people do you go to mass you know what i mean like like you know so like like there's a massive problem with kind of Irish kind of journalism and a zero percent rate on on the printed format of that is not gonna is not gonna save them, you know. But that's another day's kind of conversation. But like, yeah, just going back to the policy thing. I mean, um, I saw that like you know, mandate had a had a had a pre budget uh, document out. Um, they were on kind of morning Ireland there with it uh, surround that time as well, calling for a fourteen euro. Uh, like rate for kind of living wage and for investment in housing, it was the it was the homes for all kind of uh, you know you know policy as well. But like you know, you had a policy meeting there as well. So like, what were some of the policies like in terms of the policy? What was the policy that was that was being kind of discussed? Or was there any were there any kind of conclusions drawn from that meeting at all? Or yeah, so essentially, just to kind of give you background. So you know, you have basically a policy conference every two years uh, oh, okay. with um representatives from like 
you know, committees and branches across the, the union. Um, now, I think it was three years since the last one because of COVID. Um, but yeah, it was interesting uh, help in Dublin there um, just literally like two weeks ago. And so essentially, like the purpose of it is to like report on the previous work done since the last conference so we would have got like a list of the motions and the work that the you know the staff of the union um have said that you know has linked to each one of those so you know there's accountability piece there as well but there's also like setting the agenda for the next two years and like that agenda is led by proposed motions from all of these different branches and sectors and committees so there was about like 30 motions and like you know some of them were around the economy some of them around you know workers rights others were around you know equalities health and safety organizing um and political and social action so like um there was a lot in it um and i guess like some of the stuff that we would have seen in conversation around you know addressing energy costs there was quite a bit of discussion around that and kind of led was kicked off with a kind of discussion around you know energy costs as part of an economy um piece around like you know addressing that so there's lots of talk about you know the single energy market and what to do about that um and there was um, like, you know, a moratorium on disconnections, like the, some of these asks that were coming mm. out as well um, and introducing price caps and, you know, that energy companies need to offer different rates or whatever. There wasn't necessarily, there was and maybe some of the speeches there were talks about like nationalization and stuff like that, but not necessarily in the, the physical um, motions itself that were brought through. So there was some interesting uh, ones from actually like the board of Mona branch, um, you know, trying you know, cushion the impact of energy costs on um, ordinary people um, and the executives themselves actually brought one as well. So like there was good conversations um, and there was conversations then as well from, you know, making, because we talk about like, you know, moratoriums, disconnections on en energy utilities and there's a couple of interjections. Well, like also this needs to include traveler homes as well, because at the moment uh, well, travelers good. aren't included. Yeah. So do we had like, there was one uh, very outspoken uh, person, TJ Hogan, he's, he's a member of the traveling community and he, he was really brilliant on um, giving that insight as to like how some of the policies that we were discussing would affect travelers slightly differently. So for example, the, you know, we talk about like, uh you know things for housing but actually we're not really considering you know travel what traveler homes look like and that as well so that was really interesting interjections there um and i think the you know obviously the conference was better for having those and yeah so like exactly for example like you know we we're talking about moratoriums on being disconnected this winter but traveler homes aren't included in that um so people on sites will have their internet disconnected and also um people on pay, pay as you go I know it's not, it didn't come up at the conference, but it is something anyone who's on pay-as-you-go electricity we've seen in the news now is are, are not in that moratorium. So it's people, the people are probably most affected by the cost of living crisis. Are the and ones to run to a higher rate because, because, yeah. the, because the, the, the kind of pay-as-you-go has a yeah. higher rate. And like, you know, if you go for the daytime, nighttime kind of tariff, which is what kind of uh, Ryan kind of called for, you'll get hammered because the, the, the kind of split kind of daytime like not kind of tariff is disgraceful in in terms of its rates sorry i was i was interjecting no yeah no that's no it's useful um i guess there was other talks as well around like like workers rights in general and trade union recognition i think is really important like we were talking about um you know even like the, the concept of four day week that kind of conversation was being had like unfair dismissals was another thing that was chatted about um for people who don't know that if you're unfairly dismissed before uh 12 months 
you have no rights basically to take an unfair dismissal case, which we, we would have seen around like the campaign against the Ivy restaurant with um, Julia and Lenka. Um, but also I'm sure there's plenty of people who would be able to relate to seeing in their own workplace, people maybe, you know, who uh, are on probation or only new enough to the organization um, who could potentially be unfairly dismissed without any proper recourse in, in under that law. So there was a big discussion around that and how that needs to be. And obviously that was a big one for Unite. Um, in the last um, year and that they're kind of fighting around that they brought to the courts to try and prove that you know that someone who was unfairly dismissed before the 12 months should be considered now they didn't fully win the, the whole case but it did highlight the fact that they were recognizing that this is an issue so that that was good as well and obviously there's talks about the, the retirement age as well um, and talking about like what you know the right to disconnect um, and like I suppose it's really important at the moment we're like work from home and everything like that um, and mental health supports for people working at home as well was another one so there was it's, it's interesting because you know the way of the world is the way the world of work is changing and that is was reflected I think in a lot of the discussions um, that were had as well um, but yeah there was lots of stuff on equalities as well um, we were talking about um, banning conversion therapy, apprentices for people with disabilities, um, you know, standing against gender-based violence and opposing racism and division, all really good kind of conversations. Um, and it was good to see the union movement engagement, all of that. Um, but then we were talking about organizing and like, I guess like in the concept, in the, like at the current climate and obviously people, uh, workers are organizing and they're going on strike to get, you know, get the wages that they deserve off companies that are making profit off the back. This whole idea of like, you know, and you know, higher wages, raise inflation, or all all of that kind of stuff is absolutely bollocks. When we've seen like how much profits are being made off the back of these workers, and like you know, the workers are making decisions to organize um, and potentially go on strike to you know reclaim the value of their labor that they deserve when they're seeing the the you know the profit margins that are coming out of some of these companies. So I think there was some good conversations um, at the Unite Policy Conference around like you know how we legislate and organize for workers power so talking about like you know including it as a statutory right for collective bargaining you know the right of access to um for trade unions and workplaces um and like you know really honing in on some of those precarious work practices and stuff as well um such as you know like young people getting paid less for the same work you know that minimum wage threshold where if you're like 16 or 18 or whatever you can be paid less for the same work as someone else of a different age just mad stuff but yeah really interesting um conversations that were had it seemed very productive there was also kind of discussions around like the actual price of living as well and like some of the things that were, were calling out and it, again was around you know rent freezes affordable childcare, um welfare increases wage increases are some of the things that the conversations that were coming out of that which is interesting and then um a piece around addressing poverty and deprivation so I think obviously this is an area of work piece of work that you've done Connor in general like with the uh, Claire research and everything but kind of how how we measure uh, deprivation and poverty as well as a conversation we're seeing popping up the last couple of weeks too and um, so I think that was an important conversation um to see where that can go and then even on that stuff around kind of cost of living I mean you know like on the budget there's the vacancy tax you know yeah so has absolutely no teeth no teeth in it um like you see the commentary of from i think Jew cherry online was given a good breakdown as to why that's just something on paper that you know it was just another pr exercise to make them look like they're doing something in it but actually it's it's not much like already what they're proposing which is seen as three times more i think than it before but it's still low much lower than other countries um and also owners have to self-report every year so like 
that's been going well for everything else that landlords have to, to have to report. So why why is this one going to be different? Well, and there's mean, no I'll... there's no penalty either if you don't self-report. And like who's responsible for going after like you know for making sure that this is even paid? Like there's just putting something in place with absolutely no structure for me to make it work is just ridiculous. Carry on. This came up in the in the Clare report I did. Um the, the census kind of came across around 10,000 vacant housing units in, in, in Clare, roughly 50-50, um, half being, uh, you know, unoccupied um, by residential kind of housing, and then around half of them being kind of holiday homes. And Clare County Council has this exact scheme in place where it has a vacancy tax um, scheme in place that is self-assessed um, and it's self-reported. And on that list, there's around 53 housing units. And that mm. includes, like, unlike the census, that doesn't include uh, derelict kind of buildings, this list does. So even with kind of derelict kind of buildings, it's still only 53. So regardless of definitions of, of kind of vacancy, to have a gap between 10,000 vacant housing units and then an official list of 53 just mm -hmm. shows how ridiculous this whole scheme is because it's not us just guessing we've seen it this is it working mm -hmm. out in the real world and it is an absolute absolute joke the way to actually do this is to put a vacancy tax on every single house in the state and then you can get an opt-out from that, if you can prove that it's been used for residential kind of purposes. Mm. So instead of people having to prove or show or say this house um, is vacant, you can say, no, this house is not vacant. So you mm. put it on all 1.8 million, um, no, on all 2.2 million, um, you know, housing units in the state. If you can show that you live there and it's been used fucking residential purposes then you don't pay the tax if you can't prove it then you do and that would flush them out that would yeah. flush them out in the morning and, and then have it as the as the sock dams have actually where it's 10 percent of the current kind of market value per year mm. that was their that's their that's their proposal and that's only because i was reading it kind of this morning and it, it's just fresh in my memory you know what i mean like that's how you do it so you yeah. make it like it's a compulsory kind of levy on every single housing unit, but there's an exemption mm -hmm. if you can show that it's where you live. Yeah. That's how you that's how you do this. Like, yeah, but you look at like it looked the headline looked nice, and then it's always about the detail, and that's the thing with the budget as well. Like, there's always nice little headlines, but then when you actually dig into it, what does that actually mean? Like, they have exemptions included in that as well. So, like, if it was recently sold, you know, you don't have to pay vacancy tax. Why? like how recently what does that even mean like you know if it, if it's for sale or for rent uh you know there's it doesn't say actually that there's you know you can put your house up for sale at an extra like you know at a price where you know it's not gonna be sold just to keep it vacant knowing that it won't, you know so there's there's ways around this as well and then yeah it's just it, it's it's just been set up to fail anyway but there is obviously alternative ideas there which um could be implemented which is great just just one last thing on on the night kind of policy stuff is that was there any kind of you know move around linking up with other social kind of organizations or or you know like the, 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 the don't mean organizing in 
you know, outside of, of trade unions, but working with kind of other groups on kind of shared kind of campaigns. Did that come up at all or? did indeed and um, I actually brought the motion um, on behalf of the youth committee who were really kind of having conversations around this I know a lot of people listening to this might be familiar with CATU the Community Action Tenancy Union Um, I'm also a member there as well and there's a number of Unite members in CATU and you know that were members of both tenants unions and trade unions and really saw the value of both so there was a temporary working group set up in CATU where Unite CATU members came together to discuss like how we could you know, move that relationship building forward. And um, because like cash is obviously fairly new, we're seeing a lot of like crossover and potential like opportunities for working collaboratively and in solidarity. So we came up with a motion where essentially like we're talking about what a partnership could look like and that we brought that motion to the youth committee and it passed. But it was a really interesting discussion because there's a lot of young people involved in this discussion, but also outside of that as well, like, you know, renting at this point, and there's a lot of renters in Katu, you know, it affects people like regardless of age at this point like people are renting for their whole lives and like that's such a precarious situation to be in and obviously like your wage and everything you know there's, it's hard to have conversations about like you know uh how much you're paying for rent without actually talking about your wages and that kind of conversation as well so it it completely makes sense uh for this kind of conversation to happening at the unite policy conference as well um and it'll be interesting to see where that goes i know um Cashew or hope our Cashew and Unite are hoping to organize a presentation to the executive, for example, on like proposals on what that could look like. But I know even in the motion itself, talking about like, you know, joint education sessions on like housing and workers' rights or like even the access to space, like, you know, as a upcoming union, having access to space uh, to organize meetings or uh, all of that. But then when we look at like picketing, you know, picketing looks different in Cashew and in uh, Unite, but they're most, you know, always quite similar in that way and like showing solidarity on pickets of workers striking, but also pickets of like direct action where, uh, you know, there's an eviction happening could also have, have solidarity with workers there as well um, of the union. So it'd be interesting to see how that relationship develops, but it was well, very well received and it was a good conversation around it with quite a few people contributing it to it at, at the conference. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. On that point around about that kind of partnership, I mean, the, like, because I mean, that's something I, I'm very interested in is is what does that horizontal kind of partnership work? Which, which, like, even from the trade union kind of side, it's trade unions don't think in terms of horizontal power. It's not how they think. It's all kind of hierarchy. So it's a real problem for them to get into the idea of, of, of what a genuine Commonwealth movement actually looks like, because it's not in their training. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all kind of, you know, it's a hierarchical kind of structure. And that's not just kind of, you know, that's, that's, that's in general kind of trade union movements. Uh, some are different, but in general, that's how they work. They're highly kind of bureaucratic kind of organizations. So I'm always interested in how do you, how do you build up that kind of, horizontal just one of a better word partnership or kind of commonwealth so what would it like were there any kind of ideas or possible kind of structures that that, that are being kind of put forward or is that that stage yet or is it still just about I'd, having this conversation i'd say it's just having it's about just that conversation is about to start both at unite mm. executive level but also cash you have to discuss this in a more formalized manner as well so mm. it will see like it will depend on how all those conversations like come about um like there's definitely willingness there to chat but like you know how that's implemented as you say in structures and everything would be interesting but even from a kind of a less structured way you know being able to offer uh spaces where you can co-collaborate like train each other up in different different ways different like because obviously they function in different ways like they act in different ways as well like cash you do a lot more kind of direct action it's like you know you know they're not like 
maybe t- hand, their hands aren't tied as much with some of the legislation as trade unions would be. So there's a lot of kind of maybe learning around some of that. And then obviously um, that solidarity, but like encouraging people to become members of both is important too, so that people, so we have that kind of cross uh, mm. collaboration between struggles um because we're you know it, it affects everyone essentially both it, it you know we, everyone has a roof like needs a roof over their head and a lot of people are in the workforce so both of those um really apply to everyone so it makes sense really so it'll be interesting to see how that develops um but it seems to be a lot of willingness there which is good uh like one of the arguments made in that kind of mandate kind of document um it was that wages can only do so much of the heavy lifting in terms of like cost of living mm. um that that um, Leo, like Radcar, and and I use kind of Leo as a shorthand for for that way of like thinking because he just articulates it so well. But it's that kind of assumption that um, you don't need public services because once you have a good wage, that then you'll be able to purchase all these kind of wonderful services in the market, which which is not how the world works in any kind of form or or or, or, or like fashion, um, but. That's why you need that kind of social wage and a social wage, you know, kind of um, campaign as part of a wider kind of trade union kind of movement. But like what interests me is that it's that kind of tension or, or that kind of um, friction that's between um, a trade union movement broad, in broad terms has a, has a service model kind of mentality. Um, having to work in a partnership with another organization as an equal it's not it's it's just it's like it's interesting because it's a it's reflect it's a reflexive stance where you as a trade unionist you automatically go into service model um mode when dealing with others it's it's just part of your dna now or like our kind of dna but like other kind of organizations get a bit pissed off and do that because you know I'm not here. I'm not here as a client. I'm I'm here as a partner. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so it can be done, and and I think that it's the future in terms of the of the trade union movement in Ireland. Um. So, but I don't know how to do it. So I'm always kind of fascinated as to see any kind of conversations as to people kind of working out how to do that. So, was there any kind of ideas about how to be treated as? as partners or was it just like we'll cross that bridge when we get I think it's like let's oh let's open the communication lines <laughs> and tease that out so watch this space and we'll see how how it goes and maybe we yeah. reflect on it another time but I think the it this was the initial like let's open the door and have a chat but that's positive um, I mean you know, quote, you know you yeah. know yeah I mean you know that's possible because like again it sounds like it's not it's not a case of um you know his or Katu they, they're my 4 p.m. You know, kind of way, like you know, like it isn't, you know, that that will be or like Katu saying, or here's here's your night. They're my 4 p.m. Like it's you know, it's, it's kind of you know, how do we how do we square kind of the circle, you know, which which would have been going back like to Larkin. That was Larkin's kind of idea of the one big union was not just one big union, but it's one big social movement. You know, it's a working class movement, so it's where. The problem in Ireland, of course, has been that we never had a working class movement. We we had a trade union movement that had to do the heavy lifting of being a working class movement. But it's not. It's always going to be just kind of one arm of it. But we, in that lack of a genuine kind of working class kind of movement, it kind of got dumped with being that, which is not really the case at all. So I'm always interested in seeing that kind of tease out. 
It's interesting because uh, it just reminds me of when we were at the cost of living protest and um, we had a couple of young members met up beforehand and we were like, which section are you standing in? Like, and they're like, oh, well, it could stand in the Unite section or the Cashew section or the sort of political party section or whatever. So, yeah, it kind of highlights the need for it all really to come together, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, and and also, you know, because then like it's good for like trade unions because it gets out of thinking of of seeing that wages is the way forward and wages and uh, and kind of work conditions. There's, there's only so much wages can do. You need a social wage and you need that to be kind of invested. And that's in terms of um, a social wage in transport, housing, uh, health. And then it gets into that. It, that's before we, you know, if we even delve into kind of climate action, you know, which cannot be done. <laughs> it can't be done to market kind of mechanisms. I mean, that's just daft, but I mean, that's why even, even kind of, you know, kind of um, Eamon Ryan thinks, you know. Yeah, and there wasn't too much talk about that in the budget. In fact, am I right in saying there's a decrease in the climate budget? Um, or did I read that wrong? See, this um, is where, this is where I get, like, I, I was looking at budgets being cut, but it was budgets, but it was hard to see because there are actually two budgets. So there was the, there was the, um, there was the estimates, which are for kind of 2023, and there were some figures down, but the actual budget had the spend for 2022 and, and 2023 in it. So it was quite kind of confusing. It'll take some time just to really kind of decouple it all the way, like all the way down. Like, um, so yeah, like it'll take just a bit kind of more work. There's yeah. definitely- and then, there, then there's those post budget meetings where they actually go into more detail and release like stuff that's not on paper like in these yeah, presentations yeah, as well which yeah, is yeah, even more complicated it is so there was some drama around the mental health uh, announcement because initially people thought that there wasn't and then the TD Mary Butler came out and said no it's the highest budget ever but then also people were like no well actually this is a decrease ex- exactly, but, you know yeah. there's no new services and you know all yeah so look yeah, like, yeah by the because time you do I mean, the maths on like what is the actual impact on real people's lives between the PR spin between the politicking of ministers and all of that and then trying to get the actual details and reflect on last year's and what the coming years looks like it is literally like it's it's a lot of work to be doing to even to tease out like how does this affect us it is and they and like you know it's a it's a game we should pick on every year because you you don't really know what the line items will be like in the budget until they can revise kind of estimates are are published, but that's not till come December. So, so they play this game where they they have kind of press conferences where they relaunch stuff from the national development plan, or from stuff that was like two years old, and they throw it all in and make it sound like it's all kind of new money, but it's not like you know. So it's a it's a it's really kind of frustrating because they can't spin it until come December, and and then we'll have a much kind of you know a much kind of better you know kind of view of it. There was one other thing that it talks just might be worth kind of uh, you know could tease now and it was the is it the one Ireland conference that was on in the it, it'll always be the uh, Point Depot to me so in the in the Point Depot that it was a it, what was his title again it was the Ireland for All Ireland's Call kind of conference or something like what was it again Um, it was the Ireland's Future event I think Ireland's Future event yeah yeah so like it was just that like um I've like it's it's not a idea of like I don't want to share the South with Danny McCoy. Why would I want to share a United Ireland with him? 
know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, you know, the like, there's a problem, I think, with this idea of it's a Dan, it's a, Danny McCoy of Ibeck. Like. Danny McCoy. He was speaking at it. He was on a panel for for actually it was the social panel. It was on social and like Danny McCoy, like, you know, so I don't want to share this reality with him. And if I mind a new kind of shared Ireland one with him, you know, so like, like, it, like I think that like, I just have an issue with, with this idea that that uh, the Irish independence transcends class relations, and it doesn't. It never did. It didn't. And that's that's the whole thing around kind of labour in Irish history, you know, and 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 kind of James Connolly was that you cannot supersede class relations when dealing with Irish Irish kind of nationalism. It says that's what that's what these fuckers will do, you know. Um, I was I'm I was very lucky to actually pick up a first edition of Labour in like Irish history there at the weekend, but it got me kind of rereading it again. And there was a great line from the forward, which I think is worth kind of uh, quoting. Like, I- I'm not saying Connolly's kind of gospel. There are some things he does get wrong. And there's other stuff that it, it, that is dated. Uh, but this line here kind of struck me. You know, he says that uh, the Irish kind of middle classes have a thousand economic strings in the shape of investments, binding them to English but capitalism um, as against every sentimental or historic attachment drawing them towards Irish kind of patriotism, uh, patriotism. And that's why that only the Irish kind of working class it remain as the incorruptible inheritors of the fight for freedom in Ireland. And that got me thinking because like that's something I deal with, this whole kind of compadre kind of middleman kind of class. And there's and there's Connolly in his own words, kind of highlighting just that problem with these people, this class, this Irish kind of mainly kind of Catholic kind of middle class that started to emerge in the middle of the nineteenth century. They uh, starts you know to really kind of um, gain a huge kind of foothold. That they are that they have links with kind of with, with British kind of capitalism, and they will defend those links over your any kind of sentimental kind of nationalism. And that's what it'll do. And what did we see kind of, you know, there yesterday? Danny McCoy, the the, the living exponent of what kind of Connolly kind of pointed out 111 years ago, walking into a conference on Irish kind of unity. And who's there? Fucking Ibeck. As if the vision that they have for Aiken United Ireland is one that would benefit us or, would, or that we would share with or the people of Shankill or Derry or like Tyrone it would benefit from the absolute they'd be mining galore like you know what I mean like they would just be like horsing it through so I just think I have a real issue with this kind of Ireland's call type shit you know where you know where it's just like you know um, let's pretend that this issue transcends all other kind of class issues it never did and it never will that argument, it was made back in 1922 and it fucked us over. And it's been fucking us over, kind of, you know, it, 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 it like ever since. That, that was a bit of a rant more than I expected. But like, um, that's like Danny McCoy, he brings it out on you. <laughs> I think we'll forgive you for that one. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is interesting because like, you know, 
obviously there was a lot of people who, who are Sinn Féin members who went up to that as well and like they're looking at those kind of conversations without maybe the as you say like the class analysis of it um and I do worry about like I'm maybe maybe a Sinn Féin member would correct me on this but like that maybe lack of political education to really truly you know talk about you know socialism working class and all of that within the party structures like if this is a party that's going to be in government um and their membership you know and we've already seen some of the there may be stronger policies being unraveled you know for the sake of compromise to be to maybe maybe in government but I do wonder where that goes and is this event maybe what compromise is going to look like um in potential United Ireland that maybe Sinn Féin would be involved in I'm not sure maybe I'm getting ahead of myself now it's probably a good few years down the line but it is an interesting insight um but yeah, we'll see, I guess. It's just that, like, you know, I mean, like, it's not new. Like, like it goes to the trade union movement as well, because, I mean, um, like, what would be kind of trade union rights in, in Canyard Ireland? It would it be the ones that, would it be ones that IBEC will have to agree to first? You know what I mean? Uh, no, no. You know, so, like, if we're going to have kind of conversations, it should be about, you know, how do we, what type of class war are we going to unleash <laughs> in this United you know, Ireland? Will you know? we get five thousand people up in the arena for that? <laughs> I, I I, I'm sure they. I'm sure the papers report on that a lot differently than they report on this this particular. Uh, probably, event. probably not. But like you know, but like you know, you know that's the that's a problem in and of kind of itself because you can see, like you know, just the carve up that will happen. You know, in, even in terms of, of, of the North, you know, you know, yeah. they're just like, you know, just going after those, those kind of precious minds, which kind of Elon Musk wants in, in like Tyrone and in kind of Fermanagh, you know, mm. you know, like, you know, like these are the things that will happen. It like Irish unity will happen regardless of whether Danny McCoy is on board or not. He's not a fucking kingpin here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, he's not going to, there's no one out there who's going to change their mind because. Danny McCoy says, hang on here. I mean, Leo tried that at the conference there yesterday and he was he was he was ridiculed, you know. So I mean, like, if this happens, it it's gonna happen in spite of all these things. I I don't I don't agree with you know cutting cutting your cloth to to need, you know, to suit a, a, a kind of neoliberal kind of you know kind of agenda in some vague hope that that would get kind of Ibeck on board. Fuck Ibeck. Yeah, fuck I back. And maybe we'll leave it on that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good kind of, you know, fuck I back. That's a good way to like end. In fact, every show from there on to go. <laughs> and thank you for the conversation on like childcare. Oh, and by the way, fuck I back. <laughs> and just, this, has been, <laughs> this has been the week of work. <laughs> thank you, Connor, as my co-host. And um, as always, we hope to be back next week for more discussions on bit of left-wing analysis on the, the news, the budgets, the papers, um, and everything in between. Um, so if you want to follow us on Patreon, uh, we're on patreon.com slash leftblock, um, and give us a share on socials as well. Um, and we'll hopefully chat to you next week. Yeah, and for Guybeck. <laughs>